everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I am so glad you're here today. Today, my interview is with the ever-engaging and fun Brett Cooper. Brett is the president of Integris Performance Advisors, which he started with his partner, Evans Kerrigan, and they are a professional development firm committed to helping leaders build healthy teams, build healthy organizations, build healthy cultures, creating just really great places to work. So as you can imagine, I really enjoyed talking with Brett. He and Evans just wrote a book called Solving the People Problem, which we talk about in this podcast. And they address solving some really key problems in the workplace, which almost always are people problems. So they use the DISC profile and EQ, which is a unique combination of personality assessment and emotional intelligence to help you understand yourself better, to help you understand each person on your team better, and how to improve your collective EQ, which will also improve workplace relationships, results, and happiness. So this is a very fun interview. Brett is high energy and passionate, and I can't wait for you to meet him. So hold tight, and I'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I have Brett Cooper here with me. Brett, thank you so much for joining the show today. Glad to be here, Carrie. Okay, so tell us, why did you feel compelled to write your new book, Solving the People Problem? I think it comes down to one simple statistic, and that is that 62% of workers blame the conflict that they experience in the workplace on personality clashes. So if we, if we unpack that a little bit, first of all, if, if people are blaming conflict just on personalities, you know, the, the existence of different personalities, we're all in trouble because last I checked, we all have personalities. So, so it can't just be the existence of personalities. And so if it boils down to the fact that it's people not being able to get along with or communicate effectively with people uh, with different kinds of personality styles, then there is a huge problem slash opportunity there for us. And this is a problem slash opportunity that uh, my co-author Evans Kerrigan and I have, have seen over the last 20 years of working together. We've been organizational health consultants working uh, first for another organization, then we started our own business, Integris Performance Advisors in 2011. And over that time, we've, we've worked with hundreds of organizations, thousands of leaders, and we have seen this problem of people not being able to communicate effectively time and time again. So essentially what this book does is it takes you know, some of the, the, the most important, the most impactful things that we've learned in 20 years of being an organizational health consultants, and it, it, it puts it into a easy to read book that people can use right away to try to understand some things for themselves. And more importantly, how they can make some changes to their behavior to improve the relationships that they have around them. Yeah. So uh, you say in your book that there is a relationship crisis in the workplace. So what exactly you know, do you mean by the crisis and how has this changed due the, to the pandemic? Yeah. Uh, so, so even pre-pandemic, we were seeing some, some crazy macro statistics, as well as some individual company anecdotes. But at the macro level, uh, a lot of people listening might be familiar with the Gallup organization. And Gallup does an annual survey across the country of employee engagement. And year after year, the finding is that less than a third of the people in the workforce are saying, I'm highly engaged at work. And if you ask me, I mean, if, if, if you look around, you say, okay, only one third of us are actually highly engaged. Well, what does that mean for the, the other two thirds of people in the workforce? They're not living their best lives. They're not living their best, uh, you know, experience. And when you look at all the, the research of what drives employee engagement, so many of the factors have to do with relationships. It's what's your relationship with your leader? or your boss or your manager, what's your relationship with your peers, what's your relationship like with your direct reports. And all of that then boils down 
that if we can improve those relationships, if we can make those relationships more, more effective, more productive, more human, so what I like to, to, to point out, you know, make it, make it more about, hey, this is a two-way street. We're not just doing work here, but we're actually interacting with each other in a way that we both appreciate. That is going to have an impact, a very positive impact on that employee engagement number. And we've seen that anecdotally with a lot of the companies that we've worked with, where we've specifically targeted how do we make people, uh, you know, communicate more effectively and work together more cohesively. And then when we've looked at that against employee engagement survey numbers, the engagement surveys go up, the numbers go up. So if we take all of that, and that was all existing pre-pandemic. So if we, if we look at now in the pandemic, thankfully things are starting to open up a little bit in many parts of the, the country and people are you know interacting. But so much of the pandemic was spent individually, you know, on our own, in our little bubbles, uh, you know, not being able to connect with our coworkers. And while a lot of us got really used to being able to interact this way, like you and I are doing today on Zoom and figured out really some, some good, strong practices to do that, there's a whole lot of people that really struggled around, you know, hey, how do I, how do I actually have a personal connection with people when I can't be with them in person? And so a lot of the things that we talk about in the book, the different activities, the different discussion prompts that people can have with their colleagues, uh, those prove to be very valuable for people, uh, both you know when they're face-to-face, but also during the pandemic when people were secluded and weren't able to be in person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know I have like such mixed feelings about this because there have been so many good things that... Um, have come from working from home in terms of productivity and even some great uses of Zoom and being able to have sometimes more effective conversations when you're presenting, especially with people from spread, spread out all over. Uh, but boy, as soon as I go on site and start seeing people face to face and having more intimate conversations, you just really see what you're missing. The thing is, is it's so much more time consuming. So how do you see that as as people have said i have been so productive this way now starting to re-enter into the world of personal face-to-face conversations uh, and workplaces how do you think that's going to look and how's that dynamic going to change with yeah. all of this yeah i i actually think that this, this is this is the challenge that we as leaders are going to be facing for the next couple of years uh you know, this idea of the now hybrid workforce, right? Where we have some people remote, some people are in person. The, the way that we experienced this pandemic was a very individual thing. And, and a lot of it actually connects up with some of the things I think we'll talk about around different uh, personality styles and different communication preferences. Because there are some of us, you know, the, the, the extroverts, that are listening to us right now, we're probably pulling their hair out during the pandemic, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in this room by myself and I, 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 I need to get out and see people. Whereas I know firsthand there were plenty of people more on the introverted side that said, this is the greatest thing ever. I, I, I can get my work done. I can be focused. I don't have to worry about some of that, that chatter that I always have to engage in at work that I don't really care about. So the, uh, the, the, the challenge that we have from an organizational perspective, from a leadership perspective, as we move into this hybrid situation, leaders need to really embrace everyone they work with on an individual level and kind of understand, okay, you know, where are you with how we're coming back? Where are you as far as how do you want to engage and communicate going forward? I mean, ultimately, that's one of the, the big premises that, that Evans and I put out there when we're doing our keynotes, when we're, when we're writing the book, when we're working with clients, is leadership as a relationship. And everything in solving the people problem is about how do you strengthen the relationships that you have? And you do it by increasing your emotional intelligence, understanding yourself better, and understanding other people better. Yeah, that's great. So you you use the word emotional intelligence. Can you talk about 
how that specifically plays into solving the people problem? Why is it so important? Yeah, I, actually, I, I would say emotional intelligence is at the center of the people problem. So when, when we talk about the people problem, the way that I like to explain, it, as I said, it's, it's essentially people not understanding and not honoring the differences of the people around them. And if we think about the, the differences uh, in people around us, it, it's a number of things, right? I mean, one of the great things that's happened over this last year is a, in a, an extreme, uh, you know, an extra focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that is going to be such a fantastic legacy for us moving forward. And a lot of the DEI kind of efforts are focused on, you know, gender issues and racial issues, which we absolutely need to attack those things. But they also, the other, the other part of diversity and inclusion has to do with different perspectives and right, different points of view and different communication styles. And if we have people that are able to embrace those things, we're going to be that much more effective. And emotionally, emotional intelligence is essentially about how well do you understand yourself? How well do you understand other people? And can you put that knowledge to work so that you make better decisions on your own and you adapt your behavior for mutual benefit when you're working with other people. Yeah, I love that. We just did a six month program with a company, um, a nonprofit called The Second Story Project. And it is a different take on a, a DEI program. And it really is about how you start with the individual story that we can connect on because we're all more similar than we are dislike. And, uh, and if we take the time to understand people's perspectives and the reason why they have those perspectives and to understand their stories, we have so much more empathy and tolerance for their viewpoints uh, or other reasons why we might be discriminated against them. And so I think that's so important that really taking the time to get to know other people and then reflecting on what does this mean for me? How do I show up? Uh, and how have my biases and, and judgments played into my situation and the situations of others? So I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, your, your, your point about how do I show up? I mean, that is, that is such a critical thing that so many of us don't actually take the time to do. You know, we, we, might, we might think of ourselves as, uh, you know, okay, I'm, I'm extroverted or I'm fast-paced or I'm, you know, I'm really warm or, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more of a skeptical person. And, and, and we just kind of say, you know, well, that's how I am. And so I'm just going to go through life being that without thinking for a moment, wait a second, you know, how do, how do different people see that? And importantly, you know, how does that impact my ability to communicate effectively with people? Yeah. So how do you help people get started, right? So we know that we need to understand ourselves better and that we need to understand others better. But how do you do it when you don't know where to start and do it in a way that feels genuine and authentic. Yeah. Well, well, one thing that I do now that I wasn't able to do a year ago is I hand people the book, Solving the People Problem. So I'm able to do that now. Read the book. Just, just, yeah, there you go. That, hey, are, are we done now? No. The teaching style that, that we like to use in our, in our live programs, in our coaching programs, and in fact, in the book is to, to set some foundation, right? To, to give some understanding, give some context uh, to, to really, as we've been doing so far, right? You know, why is this such a problem? Why is this so important to, to deal with? And then, you know, so, so we've done that a little bit in our conversation here. So hopefully people who are listening are kind of like, you know, hey, all right, well, I'm, I'm a little intrigued. And, you know, so what do we do next? And I think the thing that, that solving the people problem brings into this conversation that wasn't there before is it, it adds another layer onto emotional intelligence. So the history of emotional intelligence has been around, you know, a couple of decades and, the the books and the training information that's out there about emotional intelligence i think has been is fantastic we stand on the shoulders of giants to see further and certainly the you know, uh, uh the existing work that's been out there on emotional intelligence has been great to, to start to build that awareness around the importance of this but what 
I always saw as missing in the emotional intelligence uh, kind of activities that I saw that were out there was it didn't really give me a, a, a path or a language that I could use to do that self-reflection and to better understand other people. And it just so happens, independent of our work with emotional intelligence, kind of going a long ways back, Evans and I have used personality style kind of assessments for a long time. So we've used L, uh, tools like Myers-Briggs, you know, the MBTI. Uh, we've, we've worked with some organizations that use Enneagram. We, use, uh, we have some folks that use StrengthsFinders. And we've used DISC a whole lot. Now, all of these different assessments slash models give you some some good insights to personality styles and you know and, and behavioral preferences and things like that. But what we found is that specifically the DISC framework, the DISC framework is based on observable behavior, very closely and tightly connected to exactly what we're talking about. How do you like to communicate? How do you process information? So whereas some of those other tools are really good at, uh, you know, if you're going to do some some real in-depth personal coaching or or go on a, a real in-depth journey to understand yourself, those other tools are pretty good. But DISC is a fantastic tool for teams and groups of people to to use to to kind of say, hey, here's here's kind of my communication style. Now I see what your communication style is. How can we work together a little more effectively? So would, would it be helpful to, to maybe give a quick, quick explanation of kind of how DISC works, Carrie? Yeah, would that, yeah, would that help? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so DISC is an acronym, right? It stands for Dominance, Influence, Steadiness, and Conscientiousness. And the way I like to explain this is if, if you think about a circle, Think about a circle that's been cut into uh, four quadrants. So you have uh, you know, the D, the dominance is one quadrant, the I, influence is one quadrant, S, steadiness is one quadrant, and C, conscientiousness is one quadrant. And so each one of those uh, quadrants represent a personality style. And in fact, those four personality styles are uh, pretty much normally distributed across the, the population. So, you know, any one of us might be, uh, you know, any, you know, one out of four is going to be any one of those styles. But the way that we divide up those spectra or those quadrants is that we start by looking at, okay, let's look at someone's pace. If someone is fast paced and outspoken, we put them towards the, the top of that, of that circle. If they are more cautious and reflective, we put them on the lower half. Then we look at, okay, how skeptical are you of new ideas, new people versus how accepting are you? And if you're, if you're more skeptical, more questioning, we put you over on the left side of the circle. And if you're more accepting and warm, we put you over on the right side of the circle. So if we do that and we think about D, dominance personality style, they're in the upper left. So they are the fast paced and skeptical people. They love focusing on results. They want quick action and they're not afraid to challenge your thinking. The eyes are the folks that are in the upper right. They are also fast paced, but they're a little bit more on that warm and accepting. So they're very enthusiastic, you know, life of the party, uh, lots of ideas, that kind of thing. If we go to the more cautious and reflective area and we look at accepting and warm, that's where the S's lie. And the S's tend to be the folks that are really supportive of other people. And they might, might give up their seat for other people, both figuratively and literally. Uh, you know, they're, they're oftentimes, well, you know, don't worry about me. Let me worry about you kind of people. And then finally, in the lower uh, left-hand side, you have the conscientiousness people. These are the folks that are a little more cautious, a little more reflective and more skeptical. These folks tend to be the, the, the people on our teams that really focus on accuracy. Hey, I want to get it right. Show me the details. Let me get into all of that. Um, let's not talk about personal stuff too much. And if, if, if you think about those kind of descriptions, you know, first of all, none of us are, are entirely one thing, right? I mean, there, there are, you know, we all share a little bit of these styles and they're not meant to be labels. They're meant to be more kind of roadmaps or, or cues for how we can communicate. But you might guess 
I mean, through our pre-conversation and even even now, you might guess I'm up in that I category, right? I'm, I'm, I'm fast poised, paced, energetic, love hanging out with people. So I'm over there. I have learned that you know, folks that are opposite from me in that C category, you know, they're they're not as quick to share personal stuff as me. They're not as fast paced. They're much more focused on details. So I use that information to, you know, slow down my pace when I need to, maybe not share as much from a personal standpoint that I need to share. And when I'm giving instructions, I give a little bit more details so that they can you know, figure out exactly what I'm talking about rather than saying, eh, you know, eh, try to go north. That'll be good enough. So all of that, that, uh, that disk framework, what we have found is that when you apply that disk framework and you understand your own disk style and you understand other people's disk styles, that allows you to do what we were talking about with emotional intelligence, which is basically, you know, make better decisions because you know yourself and adapt your behavior because you know what other people are looking for. Yeah. So that adapting uh, behavior, I think that's really Mm -hmm. important. Uh, Something that I try really hard to do. Um, I'm high D and high I. Mm -hmm. uh, And so it can be overwhelming, (laughs) you can imagine. Uh, And so I am always trying to be very conscientious of how I show up and ask questions and talk to people so that I make them feel more comfortable and, and modify my own behavior. And I've been told that sometimes people feel like, oh, when I have to modify my behavior, I'm not being authentic, right? Why can't you just, like what you said earlier, why can't you just accept me that this is just the way I am? So can you talk a little bit about why it is so important to modify that behavior? And I think you call it being a chameleon uh, yeah. and, and how people can do that effectively, but still feel like it's authentic. Yeah, absolutely. And in the book, we highlight this is not this does not mean you don't be authentic. You need to be yourself. That's what people want. That's what's being true to yourself. So it's, it's in no way saying be something other than what you are. What it is, though, is about being effective in your relationships. And I'll even take this to you know, personal relationships. You know, anybody who's listening who has, you know, a, a spouse, a partner, uh, you know, a significant other, I'm sure if they have a successful relationship, does things sometimes that maybe they, you know, it's not their preference, but it's the other per- person's preference. And they're doing that because they value the relationship, right? They want to be good in that relationship. And so bringing it back to the, to the workplace, I would argue that if you know if we're talking about communication and and teamwork, you know, communication ultimately isn't about what you say, it's about what the other person hears. So if you can as as you Carrie said that you do, you know, make some adjustments so you can connect more more effectively with someone. If you can make just a few adjustments, you know, things like okay, I'm going to slow down I'm going to pause during a conversation so somebody else can, you know, uh, get a word in edgewise, or, or maybe I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to actually speak up a little bit more than I otherwise would. You're going to be more effective in that work relationship. And ultimately I think that's what this is about. That's why you need to adjust your style And, and, and where this really takes off, Carrie is when a group of people who work together, when they try to do this you know, kind of together at the same time, because we have seen time and time again, if you have a team where everybody on the team is trying to identify, okay, how can I adjust just a little bit so I can be more effective with everybody else? Then suddenly people start coming towards each other, right? And the folks like me that tend to throw ideas out and be really talkative and uh, trust me, I, I can dominate a meeting with the best of them. But I've learned as I'm having, you know, if I'm in meetings with more, uh, you know, cautious, more reflective, more introverted people, you know, folks that want to think it through more than talk it through, I do myself and the team a great service when I just shut up for a few minutes and create some open space for people to you know, collect their thoughts and jump in the conversation. 
Likewise, uh, you know, for other people that have been on my team or on the teams that we've worked with, they have found it very uh, encouraging and, in fact, motivating when, you know, if they're more of that introverted style person and they tend to think it through and not speak up, if the, you know, if, if the dominant personalities aren't speaking up all the time, they find a little more, um, it's a little easier for them to step into it. So I'd say it boils down to if you want to be more effective in your relationship with your team members, you have to adapt your style. You have to. Yeah, I just uh, I did a, uh, a, a a little while ago an advice from the CEO podcast, um, which is my off week reflect forward podcast uh, about this very topic. And I was talking to an employee who brings up really great points, but oh, the delivery is so brutal. And, uh, and it really puts people off, turns people off. And it makes the idea not heard in the same manner as it would be if this person would adjust you know, his style and say, okay, you know, I want this outcome. And how am I going to adjust my style to be able to get this outcome? And he said to me, like, I just, why can't I just come out and say it the way that I wanna say it and have it just be accepted? And I said, you can. You absolutely can make that choice. But every single human wants to be able to influence the outcome that they want. No matter where you fall on the disc profile, every human wants to influence the outcomes that they want to see. And so how do you do that? Do you do it by brute force? Do you do it by being a person that others say, oh God, here he comes. I really don't wanna talk to him because every time it's just like this jab. Or do you wanna be the person who's like, oh, I love it when he comes up with ideas because they're so spot on. And the way that he brings it up inspires me to take action. And he's like, well, I want that. I was like, then you have to care about your delivery. You have to modify the way that you say things so that you can influence the outcome you want. And it, I think a lot of people are stuck on that, right? Why can't I just be accepted for who I am? So I think you just described it really well. So thank you. Yeah, well, what what one of one of the authors that I really appreciate is a guy named Daniel Pink. Oh yeah. And Daniel Pink has written a number of things. One of his most recent is "To Sell Is Human," and what I love about that book and the idea is he he talks about the process of selling not not as a as a as a job or as a role, but as something that we all do. We are all selling all the time. Now it might be we're selling our ideas, right? We're we're explaining to our team why we think we should take a particular course of action. That's a sales process. And and selling ultimately is about influencing others, right? And communicating with others. Um and so to to the the example that you just just shared, you know, for the individual that you were talking talking to there, if they can can recognize, hey, my if, if I'm going to, you know, I have these great ideas. If I just take a little bit of extra time to consider my audience, right? Know your audience and think, okay, how can I best help my audience really understand what I'm trying to say? That right there gives people the, uh, you know, the, the ammunition, I guess, that they need to, to want to do some work in this space. Because what, one thing I've found with all the team dynamics work that I've done is that if, if we try to say something like, you know, in absolute terms, oh, the way you present is actually not very effective, period. Whoa, you know, now you're attacking me. Now, now you're saying that I'm bad and you're better. You know, so, so we don't use terms like that. What we say is for the audience that you are speaking with, your delivery is not as effective as it could be. Here are some things you can do to be more effective with the actual audience that you're trying to connect with. And if we think about that and we translate that to, okay, if I'm a leader and my audience on a daily basis is everybody who's on my team, everybody who's you know, uh, a, a, a member of you know, my direct reports, well, then I better try to figure out how do I deliver more effectively? Because if I want them to, to take the actions that I want them to take, I better be pretty effective at communicating with them in the right way. 
Yeah. So is that a, a good example of what you call a communication gap in your book? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And, and actually, the communication gap in, in large part goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier around, you know, uh, folks that that always talk. Yeah. Hey, find a find a time to pull back. Uh, or if you never speak up, find the courage, you know, find the way to to kind of step up in, in the chapter in the book that we talk about gaps in conversations. We really what we mean by that is imbalances, imbalances in communication sharing. Because they're, you know, if we think about how we communicate, some of us are really quick to throw our ideas out there, where, whereas others, uh, you know, again, hold them back a little bit more. But that's just the delivery of the ideas. That doesn't mean that the ideas aren't going on inside our head. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, they're some of the people that have the quietest, you know, that are the quietest have the loudest minds, you know, there's, there's so much going on in, in, in the, the minds, especially of, of introverted people that I'd say that leaders and organizations, you know, across the country and around the globe are missing out on a ton of fantastic ideas because you, you know, so frequently it's the loudest person in the room that gets their ideas across. So when we when we talk about gaps in conversations, that's largely what we're what we're saying is, you know, do some self reflection, understand your style, and understand how, you know, how dominant or uh, not dominant are you when you're having those team conversations, and 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 try to change the role just a little bit so you can have better balance and get more ideas out on the table. That's really what we're talking about with that. So one of the things that, and this ties back to your previous example about how leaders can help with this too. So I have a couple of introverts on my executive management team, one pretty deep introvert who's also the most thoughtful uh, person on my team. And it's not even giving space because we work on trying to give space uh, in the conversation for everyone to speak up. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times she doesn't think of her best idea or best response until a few hours later. And so that's one of the things that I try to pay attention to. And I circle back on a one-on-one -on -one individual mm -hmm. basis and say, hey, you know, I know that you have, you, I, I'm assuming that you have some thoughts on this. Is there anything that you want to share? And she's always like, yes. Now that mm -hmm. I've had some time to process, here's what I think. And it's much more comfortable for her to you know, to lay out that idea or even to brainstorm with me one-on-one -on -one and then come back at the next meeting and be prepared as a follow-up. So, you know, looking at understanding your people, looking for those gaps, and then if they're not created in the moment, how can you create them afterwards so that you do get those people who aren't comfortable speaking up or who need time to process before they can formulate their articulate uh, response, um, you know, do so. Oh, su such a critical point, Carrie. The idea around, you know, you know, for for many of us, we can just jump into a conversation and all right, you know, whatever happens, happens. If we're gonna, you know, we we kind of, you know, think on your feet. We we think on our feet, and 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 many times, you know, the 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 mouth might even move faster than the brain. Right. You know, hey, throw some ideas out. And okay, you know, on second thought, that really wasn't such a great idea. And, you know, so I, I would argue some of us are, are actually talk it through kind of people. I certainly am that way, you know, where we, I do some of my best brainstorming when I'm actually, you know, hey, throw this stuff out there, uh, being assertive with ideas, but not aggressive with ideas. You know, this isn't the idea that I think is going to be the winner, but let me just put it out there so we can talk about it. But to your point, so many people, process information differently. And so that's why it's really critical to do things like what you talked about, you know, give people opportunities to come back around. Whenever we have a, a team conversation, the next team conversation, you know, we'll start by saying, okay, we talked about this, that, and the other thing on the last conversation. Is there any new ideas, anything else to add, right? So those people can, you know, have, have ruminated on it can can come back around to it. Um, also, giving people some advance notice of what's what's yet to come. You know, being in the the training business for as long as I have, you know, I've become pretty familiar with the various ways that people learn. 
And I'll tell you, you know, before we do, we have a, a, uh, a live training session, you know, if it's with a new group, there are some people that are going to come in that don't know what the agenda is. Don't really know what the topic is. And they're just fine. They come in they're like, Oh, I'm here. I'll figure it out. And there are other people that if we haven't given them, you know, the full details, kind of the timed agenda, you know, they are really uncomfortable coming in and they're like, okay, you know, how's this going to go and what are we going to do? And it's such a simple thing. It's such a simple thing to share that information in advance so everybody can come in and be in that more comfortable spot. You know? I agree. I had someone once tell me, no agenda, no attenda. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard that. I love that. I love that. I'm writing that down. No, uh, attenda, no, agenda, no, no agenda, agenda, no attenda. I like yeah. it. And another piece to that, um, and I just got this feedback from the same uh, member of my executive management team about her frustration when we veer off the agenda because she's like, mm. I can prepare. I spend a lot of time thinking through how I'm going to show up. And then when we don't cover that topic or if it goes in a different direction, then I just spent an hour thinking through all the things that I wanted to say and didn't get an opportunity to do it because I was showing up prepared. And I was like, thank you for that feedback. That's so brilliant because my personality style is like, it's fine if we wander, you know, and, and, and still get to the same outcome, but not everybody's comfortable with that. So that's another thing that I really try to do is make sure that I always get to the agenda items. And I always say to her, what are your thoughts on this? Because I know that she's prepared and I don't want her to walk away feeling frustrated that she didn't get a chance to speak up when she was, you know, mentally getting herself ready to do that. Yeah. So I, you're, you're speaking, you're speaking my language here. So a lot of the work we do with individual teams, uh, leverages a book that I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people listening are, are real familiar with called the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lincioni and the five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, one of the, uh, so, so when we do the training, when we work with a team, we actually reverse it and we talk about the five behaviors of a cohesive team, which is around, you got to build trust so you can enable conflict, so you can commit to decisions, so you can hold each other accountable, so you can focus on shared results. And when we talk about how do we get a team to really commit to decisions, we talk about the importance of team norms. So, you know, what, what you were just, just um, talking about there around what's acceptable and what's not acceptable for your team, you know, you now know you have people on your team that if you veer off the agenda, that's a problem for them. And actually, we, we even do this, this activity where I, I will say, you know, if I have a, you know, a team or even uh, I'll do this on keynote sometimes, I'll say, okay, let's play along. Here's some scenarios by show of hands. Um, and I'll ask things like uh, staying longer than the scheduled meeting to finish a conversation. Show of hands. Is that acceptable? Is that perfectly fine or is that unacceptable? And it's funny to see the distribution because some people are like, oh yeah, totally fine. Others are saying that's absolutely unacceptable. And, and I would argue that the, the point you just made is exactly one of the same things there, right? Is, hey, if you veer off agenda, is that okay? Is that nah, all right? But, or is that unacceptable? And the important thing I, I would say that there, there are no absolutes. Well, of course there are there are some human decency kind of absolutes. But once we get past that, if we're talking about you know some of those behaviors that we do as a team, I would argue that it's not about the, okay, this is the absolute way to do it no matter what team you're on. That doesn't exist a whole lot. What really exists is you look at the people and you talk to the people that you're actually working with and you say, okay, what's right for us? If we go late, how do you guys feel about that? If we go off the agenda, how do you feel about that? And then you create your team norms based on the actual preferences and communication styles of the people on the team. And that way you can build a, a much more effective team. Yeah, we just went through this exercise. We're bringing on um, a new person, uh, actually two new people onto the executive management team this summer. And I really wanted to get those, you know, we're calling them our operating principles. And we just had this really collaborative 
uh, discussion around you know how we show up and and fine-tuned it we we'd already done a pretty good job of defining a lot of our leadership principles but this was you know what is our purpose as an executive management team and how do we hold each other accountable to the commitments we make and how do we show up to meetings and uh, and with our teams and it was a really powerful exercise and uh, and it was always it's great to get the feed, feedback from so many different styles because Everybody sees it from a different perspective, whether it's from the lens of their role or from the lens of their personality style. And we came up with a really fantastic system um, that we we use to work together to move the company forward. So incredibly powerful. That that is powerful. Have, having that is going to help you make sure that everybody's voice gets heard, yeah. and you know that's going to be good for the team because you're going to get better ideas, and it's going to be good for every individual because when they go home at the end of the day, they're going to say, you know what, I got a team that actually appreciates what I bring. Yeah, yeah, and I want to use it for selection too, right? If this does not resonate with you, then you should not be part of this team because this is how we operate. And, you know, there are definitely some uncomfortable things for people who want to stay in their lane versus our very collaborative style, which can sometimes feel a little messy. Uh, and so if you're not that kind of person, you're like, I want to stay in my lane and I don't want anybody else to get into my business. This company and this team isn't for you because this is how we operate. And I want people to self-select out of it if they say this is not me, which is totally fine. I get it. It's not for everybody. But... Boy, isn't it a lot easier to figure that out before taking a job than after? We're, we're actually looking to bring on a, uh, a salesperson as right now uh, as well. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're of course going to make sure they have the basic skill set that they need. But most of the technical things we can teach. What, what is the most critical, I believe, for anybody who's hiring is cultural fit. You know, what, what is the personality of your organization? What are the, what are the rules of the road? Why, you know, how do you want people to, to act and behave and interact in your organization and find people that not just can do it, but people that actually appreciate it, right? That, that want to contribute that say, yeah, that's the way that I want to work. Because if you do that, then you get, you know, like-minded people from, from the, how do we work together? And then you, you know, if they, as long as they have diverse ideas, man, there's nothing you can't do. Yep. I agree. All right. So that's a good segue into my next question. Okay. When you're interviewing people and certainly you're interviewing people before you get into the later stages um, of the process where you might give a disc assessment, how can you start to read people and figure out their styles without having the te the assessment right there in front of you to say, you know, these are the results and, and here's how I want to probe at this person. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, I have an answer for you. Let me, let me first put a caveat that we do not ever want to use disc or any other personality instrument, whether you're, you know, doing it by observation or actually taking a test. We don't want to use those to label people and we don't want to use those to say, oh, you're a X kind of personality style, so you can't do this or you're that, so you can't do that. Uh, we, we actually had, had a client that is in the uh, uh, actuarial business. And as soon as uh, one, this one leader started learning about DISC and he started learning how the C, the conscientiousness style, you know, is really focused on accuracy and details. He actually made a comment. Oh, geez, we, you know, we got to use this in our hiring process and make sure we only hire C's as actuaries. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what we're saying at all. And in fact, it turned out that there were many people who were D's, I's and S's that were fantastic actuaries. So, so you don't want to use it uh, for that. You want to use this, you know, as a, as a guide for okay, how can you communicate more effectively? But that being said, the way that you can start to read people, th this is part of the reason why I think DISC is the most powerful of the personality tools out there as it relates to team dynamics and communication, because it's all based on observable behavior. Where I talked about those spectrums of pace, fast pace, or a little more cautious and accepting or a little more skeptical. 
it doesn't take you very long in a conversation to start to pick up on those cues. And, and I would argue more importantly than actually identifying, oh, are you primarily a D and I and S or C? It's more around, okay, you're a little more fast paced. So I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit, or you're a little more skeptical. So I know I'm going to use that as a cue to make sure I'm given the details and I'm supporting with facts and those kinds of things. So observable behavior allows you to, uh, you know, if you understand the, the construct of disc, you can actually pick up on, on the cues. As a matter of fact, in a lot of the, the sales training that we do. This is this is a skill set that we teach to salespeople and customer service people, right? Because they're either over the phone or in person, you know, trying to find ways to communicate and connect with people you know, more, more quickly and, and more effectively, you know, reading them and trying to get an understanding of uh, how you might adjust. That's a, that's a really good way to do it. Yeah, great, great advice. Thank you. All right, I have uh, a couple of uh, final questions. So uh, the first one is the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you, and how do you think leaders can use Reflecting Forward to solve some of their people problems? So I'll tell you, I love the juxtaposition of the phrase, right? Because reflect backwards looking forward obviously looking looking ahead and as, as heck as we've been talking about for the last geez almost an hour i can't believe it's gone this fast but as we've been talking about here right you you have to to, to reflect in order to 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 gain some knowledge to better understand so that you can move forward more effectively so i would argue that you know for anybody the idea of using reflection before, you know, in order to get forward, it's something you have to do. If, if you're trying to move forward without reflecting, you know, they always say, uh, you know, th those, those who don't know their history are destined to repeat it, right? We, we learn from the past. We, we learn from reflecting. So I, I would argue that even though it's an absolute juxtaposition uh, within that phrase, that you can't do the second piece of moving forward without adequately reflecting uh, you know, uh, on, on, on who you are, on who other people are. And, and I'll tell you, we, we actually, um, if we want to give people an opportunity to reflect, we have a, a survey, an emotional intelligence survey that people could actually take, Carrie, that would give them a little bit of a reflection. I know you had an opportunity to take the survey and you got the, the report that gave you some tips uh, on, on, you know, how can you improve uh, on, on your emotional intelligence. Sh should we give folks that opportunity to take that? Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. And I'll include it in the show notes. So tell them the website and how they can access uh, the assessment to, to get their own report. Okay, great. All you have to do is go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com and look for the link that says, what's my disk EQ? If you click on that link, you're going to go to the survey landing page and it's going to ask for an access code. I think the access code should be reflect forward. What do you think, Carrie? I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> so, so you enter reflect forward and then you'll be taken right into the survey. There's a few demographic kind of questions that we use that I hope people will, will actually answer because it gives us some, some uh, uh, information for our, uh, our, our data, our research. But then you'll, you'll take this quick survey. It takes most people about five, 10 minutes to do it. And then you get a personalized report that not only gives you a score on how well do you know yourself, uh, choose your actions wisely, know other styles and adapt your behavior. But more importantly, it gives you some very you know, kind of tangible tips, practical things that you can do right now that will help you get a little bit better at those things. So there you go. Solving the people problem. Look for the what's my disk EQ link. Yeah, I loved it. I, I, I really like the tangible things to do uh, because there was nothing that was surprising but uh, that came out of the assessment because I do know myself pretty well after you know years and years and years of going why did I do that oh, okay yes uh, but I got I got a, a couple of great nuggets of, of wisdom that I could go put into practice so uh, I'll include like I said I'll include it in the show notes so everybody can find it easily but thank you for that offer I really yeah. appreciate it Brett yeah absolutely glad yeah. to glad to offer it Good. Okay. And then my final question, uh, if you had one piece of advice to give leaders looking to be exceptional at what they do, what would it be? I think it would come down, it would have that mantra of understanding that leadership is a relationship. 
Because if you understand that, everything that we've been talking about over the, you know, the course of this conversation about the importance of being emotionally intelligent and learning how to communicate more effectively with others, you're going to see the value in those things. And so your job as a leader is to enable other people to get the job done. And if you recognize that that's your role as a leader and it's to, you know, to be in that relationship with the people who are following you, then, then you will take the actions not only to improve your emotional intelligence, but, but to learn you know, other skill sets of being a leader um, that will help you really optimize those relationships that you have in the workplace. It's great advice. I couldn't have said it better myself, <laughs> but you and I think so much alike. So uh, why is that not surprising? <laughs> uh, all right, Brett. So you gave us the website, but why don't you give it to people one more time? How can people find you via your website and on social media? Yeah. Yeah. The, so obviously the solving the people problem com is uh, probably the easiest place to go. We have a lot of information about our book there and about some of the tools that we use to help increase, increase emotional intelligence. Of course, we have that emotional intelligence survey as well. Um, and on social media, LinkedIn is actually the best one for me. So I'm Brett M. Cooper on LinkedIn. If they're connected to you, they're going to find me because you and I are connected. So I uh, would love to connect with anybody new on LinkedIn. That'd be fantastic. Great. All right. And I highly recommend that you read Brett and Evan's book, Solving the People Problem. It is a fantastic how-to uh, method to put the DISC EQ process into your workplace. So it was, it was a great read. Thanks for that, Carrie. And this has been a whole ton of fun. Thanks for having me on Reflect Forward. Yeah, thanks for coming. I really appreciate this conversation. Me too. All right, hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brett and be sure to check out his book, Solving the People Problem. It's filled with all kinds of great tips. If you like this podcast, please consider liking, sharing, writing a review uh, and rating it. That is always helpful in the sea of always increasing and always engaging podcasts that are out there. I always appreciate it. Thanks so much and I'll see you next week on Reflect Forward. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,